listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. wanted to uh, kind of update you on something that kind of we've been praying about for a while and uh, is coming to fruition. As you, if you look around, you can see that uh, our room is full and second service uh, is, is more full than first service. And so uh, we've been praying about this for a while and, and hesitant because we didn't want to jump the gun, but it is uh, necessary now because of what God seems to be doing that we are adding a service to our Sunday morning gatherings. And so... We are going to three services, y'all, okay, which is awesome, okay, this is a good, it's, we want to provide more space for people to come, and when I, traditionally speaking, when a church is 80% full, it's 100% full, Uh, and we're about 95% full, so we're 110% full, that means, on a Sunday morning, and we just want to open more gathering spaces uh, for others that may want to come, and so we are going to do that starting, here, here we go, starting first week of October. Okay, that's in like a month. So that's quick. More details will be coming in the coming weeks of what the needs are and what the times of our services are gonna be, probably similar to what we do at Easter. And uh, it's a great opportunity, y'all. It's exciting um, to be able to say that. Where a lot of churches are closing doors, we're saying, no, we have to open another service. And so we're excited about what God is doing. We thought that starting Richmond Hill would send 100 people, but y'all filled those 100 people too quickly. So... uh, so we're excited about that. And Richmond Hill is busting at the seams too. They're probably gonna have to go to two services pretty soon, I bet. Uh, so we're excited about what God's doing out there. So that's coming. First week in October, get ready. If you're an early bird, you're like, yeah, I love early service. Great, you're gonna be, we'll see you there. All the gray hairs will be early. We won't see any more gray hair after at eight o'clock. So that's great. So, all right, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew 15. A couple of years ago, I preached a sermon and I talked about this idea of foreshadowing in, in literature and in, in movies. And it's funny, after I preached on that, as, as the fam and I would watch movies or whatever, kids would be like, foreshadowing. Like they identify the whole, you know, what's coming. The idea of foreshadowing is where an author will drop hints of where the story's gonna end. What's gonna happen at the end? And, and you often will miss it. Until the end, you're like, oh, no, I see, right? And foreshadowing is, is most clear when you go back and reread a book or when you go back and rewatch a movie. And then you're like, oh, now I see. I didn't see it the first time, but now that I know the ending, I get it. And so when you're watching like Shawshank and, and the, the warden says to Andy Dufresne, salvation lies within. You're like, oh, good, he's a Christian. That's like you miss it. But really what he's saying is, oh, his little rock hammer is gonna be inside the Bible, which is how he gets out. And you're like, oh, that was genius. But you don't get it till the end, until you go back and watch it, right? Or you got, you know, whether it's Jaws and they knock over the, the canisters and you're like, oh, they're, you know, that was dangerous. But then that's how they blow up the shark. And there's just these little hints if you watch the Godfather movies, because you should. Uh, every time there's an orange, someone's about to die, Go back and watch it now. If you, if you, now that I told you that, every time someone's holding an orange or around oranges, that person's ready to go. They're done, right? It's this little idea of foreshadowing. We were watching Maverick the other night because I bought it. Of course I did. Um, and, you know, that little scene in the beginning when they show, they even have some old F-14s, Maverick. Ha, ha, ha. And then you're like, 
He's going to fly an F-14 at the end. And yes, it's, I mean, it's foreshadowing. It's telling you where the author is going. Again, you miss it usually the first time, but when you go back and you see the whole story, you pick it up. Our, our text today is a classic case of foreshadowing where Matthew, ultimately the Lord Jesus, is going to tell you where this whole thing's going. And if you don't know the whole story, you don't know the whole book, then you miss it. You just think it's another day in the life of Jesus. But when you look at it in the context of the whole book, you realize this is, this is where it's all going. And not only is this where it's all going, he, he mimics ultimately in, the, in these three seemingly unrelated stories, he mimics your story your, and my story. He mimics the journey in which he is taking us on and where he wants it to go. But again, you gotta step back and see the big picture to see what's going on, which is why we work through books of the Bible so that you get these things and you see what Matthew and ultimately the Spirit is doing through Matthew. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna work through the rest of 15. We're gonna see these three different miracles, these three groups of miracles. And I wanna show you how this is your journey, ultimately, and then where, where God is wanting to take this journey, where he wants it to go. Because it's, it's where this book is going and where ultimately everything is going. All right, so Matthew chapter 15. And, and it's helpful to remember who this book is written to. Remember, it's written to the nation of Israel. It is written to a Jewish audience, right? And that's important because up to this point, we've seen who the antagonists are, right? We've seen the bad guys are the, the religious leaders of Israel. They're, they've been nothing but in opposition to Jesus. And what we'll see today, for the original audience, this text is gonna be kind of shocking because the normal bad guys are gonna turn out to be the good guys, right, for the original audience. For us, we're like, ah, no big deal. But for them, the bad guys are about to become the good guys, and the good guys we've already seen, for them, are the bad guys. All right, so let me read the entirety of our text, and we'll come back and unpack it together. Chapter 21, I mean, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, and the mute, many others. And they put them at his feet and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to them, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such a great crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down, he took the seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied and they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. 
So it starts off, Jesus went to the district of Tyre and Sidon, right? For us, that doesn't mean anything. Most of us don't know uh, our geography of Israel. For them, they get it. Here's a map of, of Israel and Jesus's time. Tyre and Sidon are way up top, all right? And notice they are outside ultimately of Israel itself. And, and what he's telling you is Jesus is going into enemy territory, Right? This is Gentileville, right? He's on the wrong side of the tracks. This is you at the Georgia-Florida game sitting on the side with everyone wearing orange and the team that has one more national title than you. That's what this is, okay? All right, that, that's what this is. You are in enemy territory. That's where Jesus goes and Mark's gospel tells uh, us why. He goes there to get away because he's being hounded by people. So he goes to the district of Tyre and Sidon and behold, and Matthew wants you to see this woman, a Canaanite, not just a Gentile, a Canaanite, the sworn enemies of Israel. She comes from that region and she's crying out, have mercy on me. And, and it's a tense of the verb, where she's constant. She's constantly yelling. She's constantly crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And when you put the, the narrative of Mark 7 and this together, you can see, see what's going on here. They're, they're walking in this, this Gentile city. This lady is crying out, son of David, have mercy. My daughter, Son of David, have mercy. And she keeps crying out and she keeps crying out. And Jesus responds by not responding. He doesn't answer. He doesn't ignore her. He's not deaf. He's not hard of hearing. His silence is not punitive. He's, he's doing something. He's gonna draw something out of this lady. But he is just silent so much so that she stops going to him and she's going to his disciples. Can you please help me? Can you please help me? Can you please help me? She's begging and she's following and she's begging and she's crying. And finally, the disciples are like, Jesus, either send her away with what she wants or just send her away. She is driving us nuts. Talk about Mr. Sensitivity. These are your church counselors, the early church, right? Get this woman away from us. And here's how Jesus responds. And he's responding to the disciples now, not to the lady, to the disciples. He says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. My mission is to reveal who I am and what I am gonna do to my covenant people. That is why I am here right? And to the original audience, they're like, amen, that's right, it's us. Forget the Gentiles, forget everyone else. This is for, you're here for us, you're our Messiah. And you might think, well, Jesus, that's kind of exclusive and harsh, right? Just hold on, because we know where this is going, right? What does John 1 tell us? He came to his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, those who believe on his name. So we know where it's going. That's the foreshadowing piece, right? But for right now, he's say, hey, I'm here. My job is the nation of Israel. My mission is to come to the covenant people. I'm fulfilling the promises of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So they go into the house and she comes before him and she's, she now, she's not using, notice before she is using son of David. Here's a woman that doesn't grow up in synagogue, doesn't have the Old Testament, doesn't have the Bible. She is a Gentile and she is calling him by his messianic title, son of David. I know who you are, Messiah. Isn't that ironic when the, the scribes and the Pharisees have the scriptures, know the promises, they don't believe he's Messiah. Here's a woman who grows up outside the church and she's calling him Messiah. And so she comes now and she appeals to him as Lord, as creator, help me. Lord, help me. She's desperate. She's a mom. Her daughter is suffering and she's unflappable. She will not stop until he helps her, right? 
And I can, let me just say this about this lady. She demonstrates some of the greatest faith in all the New Testament. This Gentile mom, this, this Canaanite woman, Matthew and Jesus are highlighting her faith over the disciples who we continue to slam their faith, over the Pharisees who are in opposition. This is the woman you wanna follow. This is the, this is the model for us, right? And so she says, help me, Lord, help me. And notice Jesus's response. This is, this is interesting. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I mean, I don't know if that's offensive to you. You're like, ouch, what is going on? I mean, did he just call her a dog? I think he just called her a dog. He called, I don't know about the lingo of the day for y'all. I don't know what the cool lingo is. When I was in high school, you call someone a dog, it wasn't good. This is not, what up, dog? This is not that. So, so there's two, a couple cultural things going on here. And if you read the commentaries, they're all over the place. Jesus is mean. Jesus is insolent. Jesus is hard. It can't be that because we know he's not that. So there's a couple things going on. Number one, he is, he is emphasizing what he had just told the disciples. My mission is, is the nation of Israel. But number two, and I think most important for us, he is trying to draw out the faith of this woman, right? That's what he is doing. He, she, Jesus knows that she knows that the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. That's what they called them. Now they use the term for dog that's used of the wild pack animal running the streets, dangerous dog. Jesus actually doesn't use that term. He uses the term dog for the household pet dog, the domesticated dog. For our house, it's Maverick and Maisie. For your house, it might be your little 20 pound dog named Fifi, who's not really a dog, because any dog under 50 pounds is a cat and cats are pointless. Right? But whatever, he's using the domesticated dog. And you say, so you're like, well, that's a little bit better. It's still, he's still calling her a dog, right? So, so what is going on there, right? Here, here's, kind of the, here's where he's going. Here's what he's saying. And let me use it. For those of you who have pets, you get this. If you don't have pets, you may not get this. But if you have a pet, so our dogs are, you know, they're part of the family. And, and our routine during the school week is wake up, get kids ready for school. My job is to take out Maverick and Maisie. I have to take them out separate because Maverick's a diva. He has to go out twice. I don't know why he has to go out twice. He has to go out twice. So I take Maverick out, bring him in, take Maisie out, okay? And then I take Maverick out again. But often when I will call, I'll call for Maisie. Maisie, time to go out. Maisie, Maisie. She will not come. Why? Because she is sitting under the feet of my wife who is making lunches for the boys. And she will not move because her hope and dream is that just one little piece of crust, just one something, one little drop of peanut butter will fall into her presence so she can feast. That's what her hope is. I have to drag her out. Now it would be silly for my wife to start the morning making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and get a little bottle of water and get a little brownie and put it in a bag and then go down to me. Okay, here, Maisie, here's your sandwich and here's your brownie and here's your water. Why? Because the mission, the priority is the boys. Make the boys lunches, right? That's the priority. Now, Maisie may get something, but the priority is the boys. And what Jesus is saying is the priority is Israel. But look at her response. This is, is a genius. And I would love to have been there to see her body language, to see her eyes, to see Jesus' response. And so she's, Jesus says, hey, it's not right for me to take, take, make a sandwich for the dog first. Maisie's not priority. It's not right for me to, to make a sandwich and do that before the boys. 
And then she says this, yes, Lord, I agree. Absolutely. But even the dogs that eat the crumb, even, even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Yes, it wouldn't be right for, for you to make a sandwich for Maisie and, and a bottle of water and a brownie. But even Maisie gets a pretzel once in a while. Even Maisie gets a piece of bread that falls from the counter once in a while. That's what she's saying. She, she's, she's, she knows what Jesus is saying here. He's not being insolent to her. He's not criticizing her. But what she, and what she is saying back to him is, yes, Lord, I am not claiming to be part of your, your covenant people. I'm not claiming to be part of Israel. I know the promises. I know all these things. I'm just here for a pretzel. Because a pretzel is enough for me. Because my daughter is sick and I have nowhere else to go. You are the only hope I have. And just a pretzel is enough for me, Lord. Just a pretzel. And Jesus responds. You can just picture the smile on his face, right? Oh, woman. It's emotional. It's passionate. It's almost, he's saying, that was a great answer. That's better than these knuckleheads over here. They don't know what they're doing. That's a tremendous answer. And so tell you what, because your faith is so great, so great. These guys have been with me for two years. They're scared in a boat. Your faith is so great, done, go home. Your daughter, she's healed. And what's amazing, there's several things amazing about this to me. Number one, Jesus can heal a, a girl from a distance he's never even been in the same room with. The demon's gone. Talk about the power of the Lord Jesus over the demonic. That's amazing. Here's the amazing thing, number two. She just, she doesn't question it. She leaves. She's not like, are you sure? How do you know? She takes him at his word. She goes and she finds her daughter without the demon. I mean, how many of us have been like, okay, I'm gonna go, but can I call you back if something's not right? Can I get like a follow-up appointment? Because I, you know, she goes, she believes. Talk about faith. Talk about faith, right? That's, that's this woman. That is this woman. And here's where the foreshadowing comes in, right? This is where your journey and my journey fit. This woman is a picture of what it looks like to come to Christ, right? This is, this is what it looks like for all of us. Right? You come not making claims on how great you are, on your background, on where you've been, saying, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm nothing. You're not making promises of how good you've been, how good you're gonna be, all the great things you're gonna do for God. You come in what? Simple faith. This is the entry point for any person who becomes a follower of God. It's simple faith. I believe that you are the son of David. I believe that you are Messiah and I have nowhere else to go I need your mercy. I need a pretzel. That's all I need, just a pretzel. And you're the only one that can give it to me. That's simple faith, right? That's simple faith. And that's most of our story, isn't it? You came to a place where you recognized, I've tried everything else. I got nowhere else to go. I, I have nothing. And you come to the foot of the cross and you say, just like this lady, Lord Jesus, Help me. I've got nowhere else to go. That's our story. Maybe it happened when you were 12. Maybe it happened when you were 42. Maybe it happened when you were in college. Maybe it happened after you got married. I don't know. But if you were a follower of Jesus, at some point in your life, in simple faith, you cried out, 
Lord, help me, forgive me, save me. And he did. And immediately there was a healing. Immediately there was forgiveness. And I, and I, I, do, I need to ask in a room with this many people, have you, have you ever come to that point? I mean, I'm not asking if you come to church and I'm not asking if you grew up in a Southern Baptist house or if you got baptized at 13. And I'm not asking that. I'm not asking if you serve. I'm not asking if you give money. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm asking, have you come to a place where you were at the end of your rope like this lady, I got nowhere else to go and you come to the Lord Jesus and you say, save me, help me, forgive me. That's the entry point. That's where the journey, that's where the spiritual journey begins. And this is where it begins for her. That's where salvation and healing begin, with simple faith. What happens next? Verse 29, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee and he went up on the mountain and sat down there and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet and he healed them. So Mark's gospel tells us that he's in the area of Decapolis. So he was up top. Now you see the, the purple area, he's in Decapolis. The east side of the Jordan. It's named that because there was 10 cities originally. This is a Greek Gentile area. All right, this is not, this is not where the Jewish people tend to thrive and tend to live. So he goes from Gentileville to Gentileville. That's where he's at. And, and all these people are bringing them lame. There's about 14,000, there's 4,000 men, which is about 14,000 people there. And they end up there for three days. Because it takes a long time for Jesus to heal individually. You can imagine the line. I mean, if you have a daughter who is paralyzed or you have a, a, a father who is blind or whatever, are you gonna wait in line for the one who can do something? You're gonna wait as long. I mean, you'll wait in line at Disney for three rides and pay a lot of money to do it. If you can be healed, you're gonna wait as long as it takes. And can you imagine the line? I mean, you're, you're finally getting close. You're working your way. And you see the guy that was just a couple people in front of you and he was brought in on a pallet and he's running down the hill. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the, 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 the person you saw that they, they were being led because they were blind and there were a few spots in front of you and now they are rubbing their eyes and they're looking up or the person that couldn't speak you heard them mumbling or, or whatever, and now they're, they're screaming and they're yelling and they're laughing and they're crying. Can you imagine the anticipation when finally it's your turn and you sit there at the feet of Jesus and he heals your ailment? What was that like? Right? And, and it says, the crowd saw it and they wondered. Literally, the word means to marvel. And they marveled when they saw the mute speak. And they marveled when the cripple was healthy. They marveled when the lame is walking. They marveled when the blind are seeing. And notice this last phrase. And they glorified the God of Israel. Why the God of Israel? Because these are not Jews. These are Gentiles. If it was a bunch of Jews, they'd just say they glorified God. They praised God. But Matthew highlights they are glorifying Israel's God because these are not Israelites. And, and again, put yourself in the mind of the original audience. Your Messiah, your promised king is hanging out, number one, with a bunch of Gentiles and healing them. And number two, these are the rejects of the Gentiles. These are the lame. These are not the Ivy Leaguers. These are not the guys that you want on your team. These are the rejects of the culture and the society. And Jesus is healing them and loving on them and they are worshiping him. The, these Gentiles worshiping your Messiah. 
right? It's shocking to them. In the end, who's worshiping? Not the Jews, not the leaders of the Jews, the enemy, the bad guys, right? But this is, this is the journey, right? You were outside the covenant and you came in simple faith. And then what's your response? What does God desire? What is he wanting to draw out? He's wanting your worship, right? That's, that's what he's ultimately desiring from you, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. When God meets your need right where you're at, he heals your diseases, as it says. He removes your transgressions as far as the east is from the west. The response is now, in this newfound life that I have, I live my life. Colossians 3, whatever I do in word or deed, I do all things in the name of the Lord. And what's fascinating about this passage is nobody leaves. Even after it was your turn. All right, I'm healed. I don't, thank you so much, Jesus, and I run home. No, they stay for three days. They just linger and they just marvel. They've already been healed, but they just watch. That guy gets healed and it never gets old. And that guy gets, oh my gracious, this is amazing. And they see Jesus work and they all praise together a group of Gentiles who don't know God and they just, they linger together, a group of people who have all been healed, who have all been redeemed, and they worship. What does that sound like? This, right? A people who gather and just linger and remember what God has done. Because here's the thing. At some point, if you're a follower of Jesus, you were in that line. You were working your way to the front. And you stood in front of the Savior and you said, please heal me. And he said, well, I don't know. No, he said, be healed, be forgiven, be my child, come be part of my family. And he adopted you and he forgave you and he loved you, all of us. And now what he wants is us to linger in that and to sit in that and to remember where you came from. Remember that you were there, you were lame, you were blind, you were deaf, and now you're not. Why? Because of him, right? He wants us to remember. That's why he gives us baptism. That's why he gives us the Lord's table because it's constant reminders of what you were and who you are. That's what he wants, right? You were spiritually blind. He took the blinders off so that you could see. You were spiritually deaf. You couldn't hear what he was saying. You were, you, the spirit was, you were nothing to you. You didn't care. Now you hear. You were lame, you were crippled. Some of us, we still are. But what has he promised us in the resurrection? That you will one day no longer be lame or crippled, that you will have a new glorified body that will live forever. You were mute. You couldn't speak the, the truth of God. You couldn't speak the mysteries of God. He's opened your mouth so that you can sing and so that you can pray and so that you can talk. That's what he has done and he wants us to remember it. Because that's, that's your journey. It starts with simple faith and then it moves to worship. This is why this is, is important, not because the sermons are great or the music is great or the building is great, it's because the people of God who have been rescued and redeemed need to be around each other and remind each other, I know you had a bad week, but you need to remember that God loves you. So when we sing a song, you're singing to God, but you're also singing to each other, which is why you say, well, I don't like singing. Well, then, then you don't like each other because you're supposed to be reminding one another, I know you've had a bad week. I know, you've, I know you're struggling. I know this is it. But remember this, because one day he's coming back. Oh, glorious day. That's why we gather, to worship. 
And not just here, we go and then we worship throughout the week because whatever we do in word or deed, we do all things for the name of Father. But that's not where the journey ends. I think it does for some of us. There's faith and then there's worship and that's the end all be all. But that's not where the narrative ends. Let's continue one more time. Verse 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on their way. And the disciples said to him, where are we gonna get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down, he took the seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks, he broke them, gave them to his disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who were eight were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending the crowds away, he got into the boat and goes to the region of Magdala. If you're, if you're like, wait a minute, didn't we just do this? Anybody thinking that, right? Like, wait, didn't we just talk about this? Yeah, we did, right? We did. There was another miracle, I think, two weeks ago that we looked at that's very similar. In fact, so similar that critics of the Bible will say, ah, there's a, this is this mistakes in the Bible. There was only one event. They're just copying each other, Right? But that, it, that cannot be the case for many reasons. I don't even have to go into it. But let me, let me just highlight high level. These are two different events for several reasons. There are, there are major differences in the first time this happened and the second time this happened. Difference number one, the first time he fed 5,000 men. This time it says 4,000 men. The first time, the disciples are the ones who initiated saying, Jesus, send them away. This is a desolate place. And this event, Jesus says, I don't wanna send them away. I gotta feed them. So there's a different initiator. Number th- difference number three, right? Uh, Jesus in the first event says he commands them to sit down on the grass. Mark's gospel says it's the green grass, which means it was probably the winter or the spring because that's when the grass is green in that area. Here it says they're sitting on the ground. There's no more grass, which just means it's probably summer. It's a different time of the year. Difference number four, the numbers don't match. First time was five loaves, two fish. This time it's seven loaves and we don't know how many fish. 4,000 men, 5,000 men, Right? Even the baskets are different at the end. 12 baskets the first time, seven baskets this time. And these baskets are actually a different word in the Greek text. This is a Greek basket where they would carry fish. So it's not even the same idea, right? Um, Difference number five, completely different location, completely different population. First time was primarily Jewish. This time is primarily Gentile. And the biggest reason I I know that this is not the same event is because in chapter 16, we'll see next week, that Jesus says, don't you remember how many fish, how many baskets were left over in this miracle? And then again, in this miracle, Jesus separates the two events, showing these are two distinct events, right? So the question is, why does Jesus do basically the same miracle two times? And even if he's going to do it two times, why does Matthew write about it two times? I mean, there's a lot of miracles Jesus does more than once. He raises more than one person from the dead. He, he makes more than one blind person see. So why this one spends so much time reminding us about what Jesus can do with bread and fish? I think the answer is found in the response of the disciples. Okay, you would think these guys would get it. So Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowds. They've been with me Three days now, I have nothing to eat. I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint. And then he asks them, and then the disciples respond. How could they respond to this? Where are we gonna get enough bread in such a desolate place? Are you kidding me? Which one of them said this? I wanna know. That guy gotta get out. We gotta find a new disciple. Is it Bartholomew? Is it Thaddeus? You're out. 
How can you say that? I mean, I know there's been some months since the previous miracle, but how can you question? Where are we going to get so much food? There's actually less people here than the first time. Maybe they're thinking, oh, this is Gentile. Jesus would never do for the Gentiles what he did for the Jews. I don't know. But you would think there'd be one guy that'd be like, I don't know, Jesus, but I bet you do. And when he asks, well, how many loaves do you have? They'd be like, we got seven and a couple fish. Do your thing. You would have thought someone would have done that. None of them. But Jesus asks, and the miracle plays out almost exactly the same. He asks how many he got. He tells them. He prays. He has everyone sit. He breaks them. He passes them to the disciples. The disciples will hand them out. And then just like before, they're picking up crumbs till the cows come home all night long. This time, seven baskets instead of 12. Why seven? Text doesn't say. Number of completion, maybe. Maybe it's linking back to creation. He's the Lord of creation. Maybe, I don't know. But the point is this. He does the same thing two times for his disciples to see. Why? Because they, like us, constantly forget. They forget. This is why the Bible constantly repeats itself. If the Bible didn't repeat itself, it'd only be like four books. It repeats itself constantly. Why? Because we need to be reminded. And remember, this is part of the plan. This is where it's all going. What is he highlighting to his disciples? Where does this book end? Remember how it ends. Jesus came to them post-resurrection and says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Because of that, go and make disciples of all nations. See, that's where it's going. I want you to think about this, right? When Jesus was on earth for those three years, do you realize that he spent almost every waking moment of his active ministry in this little tiny area of Judea and Galilee? A couple times he goes out just for a day, just for a week. But he spends almost his entire ministry in this little Middle East country, this backwoods place. And he's on a mission to save the world. He's on a mission to make followers and he never leaves. If you, if you were gonna like spread the word of this good news and this gospel, wouldn't you at least go to, to Rome once? Right, wouldn't you go to, to Corinth and wouldn't you go to Athens, these big places where there's lots of people? He never leaves. Why? Because it was never his intent to go there. It's his intent to send you there. That's the point. And so we have faith and then we worship. And then what's the third and and important piece is that we all go. What's he telling the disciples? What's he trying to get in their minds? Here's how it's gonna work. You come to me, I give you bread. You take bread to the people. You meet their need, their physical needs, their spiritual needs. You go. Well, Jesus, aren't you gonna go? No, I'm going back to my father. You're gonna go. And why does he do it twice? Because we need to be reminded. It is your job to go, not go to church. That's important. But that's not what he's talking about. Your job is to go. People who have come to faith and then people who worship, then go. Why does God do it that way? I have no clue. I mean, he would, be, he would have been, in my opinion, smarter to send the angels. They don't sin. They don't doubt, they obey every time. But for some reason, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak to shame the strong. And so he has chosen men and women, boys and girls, to take 
his bread, the bread of life to the world. And you would think that we would wanna do that. If your daughter was healed of a demon, do you think you keep that quiet? You think that woman was like, ah, that was great. I'm not gonna tell anybody. If someone came to Jesus lame, deaf, blind, do you think they're like, I'm not gonna tell anybody what I was. I don't want them to know. Now you would be like, I couldn't walk. Look at me, run. I couldn't talk. Listen to me sing. You would tell everybody what Jesus had done. That's what he expects. That's what he wants, right? That we would go. That's, that's the point. And if we stop at just faith and worship, then we're missing the journey he wants us to be on, right? It doesn't stop there. He puts it in here two times to remind them and to remind us. If people are gonna get the bread of life, where are they gonna get it? From us. Because there's people out there, remember, you were the one who came broken at some point to the cross and you find healing. There is a million people just like you right now and they haven't found healing. They haven't found it. They're searching for significance in their Instagram and in their drugs and in their job and in their relationships and all these things. And you have the bread of life. And for you to say, I'm not gonna give my bread to anybody because I kind of wanna make a ham sandwich with it. That's not the church. I'm not saying you have to go to Africa. I'm not saying you have to go to Russia. I'm saying you need to go to Memorial. I'm saying you need to go to SCAD. I'm saying you need to go to Georgia Southern. I'm saying you need to go to uh, Jenkins High. That's what I'm saying is we need to go where God is sending us already. That's the whole idea, that we would be taking the message. We are about to open 724 new seats on a Sunday morning. Who's gonna fill them? Not me. I mean, I can invite some people, but I can't fill 724 seats. You know who can? You can. You can. If your family invites one person, your family of four invites one, we'll fill the 724 seats. And I don't care. I, I don't want to go to three services because I want to go to three. You think I want to be here earlier on a su- Sunday morning? We don't. It's not because we want to be earlier. It's not because we're trying to, oh, look at us. We're no, there's a need. There's a need. And people need the Lord Jesus more than ever. And we are sent to go. And I'm not saying you can rescue anybody. You can't rescue anything. You can't convince anybody, but you know what you can do? You can pray for, get a card out and put five people on, just five people that you know that don't know Jesus and start praying for them daily and see what God does. Pray for them. Be amazed how God may open the door. You might see him here on a Sunday. Somebody else invited him. You're like, oh my goodness, I've been praying for that person to come to church and their neighbor invited them to church. You don't know what God will do. You start praying for people. You start looking for opportunities to serve people and be kind to people so that you have a platform. I mean, Jesus announces the kingdom, but he also heals the people. He meets them where they're at. If you would meet a physical need, that might give you a platform one day to say, hey, I was this and now I'm this. You just don't know what God will do, right? There's an opportunities for us. I mean, again, another service. You're to, to jump on a service team, to make coffee for the eight o'clock service. That will be the most critical ministry in the church. And you think, well, that's not disciple making. It absolutely is. Because in you doing something behind the scenes and freeing up a seat for someone to come, you are, you are freeing up a place for them to come hear the word of God by taking care of their kids in the back so that they can sit and hear. There's all sorts of job opportunities here, but we're not just talking here. We're talking out there. We gotta remember, it's not just a Sunday morning thing because we're all called to ministry. We're all called to be in the game. There is no bench warming in the church. I mean, some of you bench warmed all through high school. I get it. 
There's no bench warming in the church. There's no insignificant job in the church. Your story is you were healed, you were desperate, you had faith, you became a worshiper, now you're to go. And that's what we're all called to do, right? Because one day, we're gonna be with the Lord Jesus forever. Get this, this is real. This is not some like, oh, you know. We don't. No, you will be in the presence of your Savior forever and, and joy and just can unfathomable pleasure forever. Don't you want somebody else you know to be there with you? I mean, don't you? It, it would be a shame if nobody, if you, if, if you're, if you bring nobody along with you, to try to influence nobody into the kingdom. Again, you can't change a heart, but you can have an impact, right? Because the same spirit of God, Jesus promises these guys before he goes to heaven, you're gonna receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you're gonna be my witnesses, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. The same Holy Spirit that the apostle Peter has, you have. Do you realize this? He doesn't get like a double portion. Same Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit that's in the Apostle Paul. Same Holy Spirit that's in Calvin and Billy Graham and name your famous Christian. Same Holy Spirit dwells in you, right? So the same power dwells in you. Not power to go and press people, power to impact for the name of Jesus. And that's what the church is. And that's what we're called to. That's your journey. Faith, worship, now go and be the church. I was in seminary, I remember a sermon. I didn't remember a lot of sermons in seminary because I think I slept through a lot of chapels because I was so tired. But I remember Ramesh Richard, one of my professors, he's preached here several times, some of you remember him. He preached a sermon from Ezekiel, which I've never heard a sermon from Ezekiel. I don't think I've ever since heard a sermon from Ezekiel. He preached a sermon from Ezekiel and he ended it like this. And I thought, wow, that's harsh. But I understand now what he was saying. He was talking about the gospel and he said, Get the message out. And he's talking to men and women who are planning to go into full-time ministry. He said, get the message out or get out of the ministry. And he walked off and I was like, whoa. That's the way to land the plane right there. And I'm not saying, get the message out or get out of the church. That's not what I'm saying. But the point of the church is to glorify God by making disciples. So if, if we're the church and we're not getting the message out, then are we the church? Right? So let's, be those who go to love people, to take the message of hope, the message of love, the bread of life to a people who are, are dying without it. Let me pray and we'll respond through singing. Father, thank you for your word, for healing us, for drawing us, for we were outsiders, most of us, not even part of the, of the Jewish covenant, not, not part of your chosen people, but you have chosen us anyway because the Lord knows who are his and that you knew us before the foundation of the world. You knew that Canaanite woman before the foundation of the world and you chose her in yourself. Uh, and so uh, I pray that we would have a passion for those around us who are lost and perishing because you did. You had compassion on the people. You didn't even want them to go home hungry. And so how much more should we uh, desire that for the people in our lives? And so help us to have that because we don't always, I don't always. Um, but I know you do. And so send us your church in Christ's name, I pray. Amen. You guys can stand.